Genesis, we read about the patriarchs, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, and read about their lives and the things that happened to them. And there's lots of lessons that we can draw from the things that happened in their life. And as the narrative continues, it goes into the story of Joseph. We read a lot about Joseph, a lot of chapters dedicated to the life of Joseph. Uh, and ultimately, he becomes a, a type of Christ. His brother Judah, uh, we don't really read that much about. And we also don't really talk about Judah that much. But there's a lot to learn from the life of Judah. Now, the reason why we don't focus in on him too much could be because he's somewhat of an unrelatable character, right? His uh, circumstances are so extreme um, that he becomes very hard to relate to. He grows up in a family where his uh, father is married to two sisters, uh, one of them being Judah's mother. So Judah's mother and his aunt are both married to the same uh, person, which is his dad. He sells his own brother as a slave, right? That's pretty extreme. Uh, he condemns his own daughter-in-law to be killed through burning. That's so extreme. And, and he's so hard to relate to as a person. But if you look at him as, as an individual, as a man, uh, and you look at some of the things that happened to his life, we actually see that he becomes a very relatable person. He is a person that grows up in a family that has kind of messy, awkward problems. He has issues with anger, with jealousy. He struggles with his emotions. He lies and deceives those around him. He runs away from his problems. He's afraid. He gives in to his lusts and desires. And so if you look at him in that way, he actually becomes a very relatable person. And so what we're going to do over the next couple of classes is take a closer look at the life of Judah and particularly see if there's a few lessons, uh, practical lessons that we can draw out of his life. Now, we're going to start off looking at the first half of his life in the first class. And the second class, we're going to look at the, the later part of his life. And we're going to see how he's actually become a very changed man, completely different than the, the angry, hateful, and jealous man uh, that we see him in the earlier years of his life. Now, when we pick up the record about the life of Judah in chapter 37, um, we start to read about him personally. Before that, we don't really read much about him specifically. Uh, we know some of the circumstances of how he was raised and, and what he grew up with. But we really see him uh, and learn more about him when he's probably in his uh, late 20s, early 30s. And we know that because his brother, uh, Joseph, it specifically said that he was 17 years old. And he's probably uh, 10 to 15 years older than his brother, Joseph. And so in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 1, we can start to read about him. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. And these are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was a son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic. And so we immediately see that there is some fertile ground here for some good sibling rivalry, right? Um, their father uh, loved their brother Joseph more than the other brothers and, and that is difficult to, to live with. And Joseph doesn't really help himself. Uh, he is somewhat telling on his brothers by giving this bad reports about them. It may have been justified, uh, but in their eyes, I'm sure they perceive it as him telling on them. And this uh, 
fertile ground for sibling rivalry actually develops into the brothers hating their own brother through uh, various circumstances. In verse 4, we read, his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, right? And so they saw this. It was obvious to them. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. I don't know if that's something that you've experienced where you've been so angry and so hateful towards someone that you couldn't talk to them on friendly terms anymore. Uh, it's something that I experienced a number of years ago. I uh, had a supervisor and we did not get along. It was safe to say we had a strained relationship. And it became so bad that eventually I, I had to leave that office and I started working out of a different office. And even at that point, after I stopped reporting to him, uh, whenever I would see an email from him, because I still worked with him, if I got an email from him, I would start, I'd start getting angry. I would tense up and I'd go a little red in the face and, and my palms would start to get a little sweaty. And every time I spoke to him on the phone, whenever we had to, for whatever reason, it inevitably turned into an argument. And, uh, and, and we could not speak to each other in friendly terms anymore. I hated this man. And it takes two to tango, so I, I'm fully aware that I was part of the problem. But we had such hatred toward each other that every time we spoke to each other, it just turned into an argument. And that is what the brother feels like. They, they just hate him so much that they, they can't speak to him on friendly terms anymore. Now, Joseph doesn't really help the situation because he keeps kind of adding fuel to their fire. Um, because he relates these dreams that God has given him and he relates it to his brothers. In verse 5, we read, Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we are binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. And you can kind of sense the tone in their brother's voice. Are you kidding us, Joseph? Really? And they ask of him in verse 8. His brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And Joseph just keeps going, right? He keeps adding more to this because he's relating more dreams that he's been given. In verse 9, now he still had another dream and related to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars are bound down to me. And so he related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. And so the brothers uh, have grown from being hateful to him to now also being jealous of him. And the thing is that these feelings, these emotions, are essentially a learned behavior. They saw this in their own family as they grew up. And perhaps you know the story of how this family ended up in this situation. Uh, Jacob deceived his own father and his brother. And because of that, he had to flee to uh, his uncle Laban because his own brother wanted to kill him. And so then he ended up uh, with Laban and he wanted to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel. And so he uh, agreed to work for Laban for seven years uh, and then he was allowed to marry Rachel. And so they had a wedding feast and it turns out that instead of Rachel, he's actually given Leah. And so he was now married to Leah and he goes to his father-in-law and says, what are you doing? I was gonna marry Rachel. And he gives him this story saying, well, 
yeah, it's our custom that, you know, we don't uh, let the younger one married until the older one is married as well. So you can marry Rachel as well, but you still have to marry Leah. And so Jacob is kind of uh, set up, you know, with this problem here in his life, but he really wants to marry Rachel. And so he works for another seven years. And so we pick this up in Genesis chapter 29 and in verse 28, Jacob did so and completed her week and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. And Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. And so Jacob went into Rachel also and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah and he served with Laban for another seven years. And so again you see that he loves one wife more than the other, right? which is the same that he had with his children. He loved Joseph more than all his brothers. But it actually is worse than uh, him just loving Rachel more than Leah. In verse 31, it says, Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. And this is the way the NASB translates it as unloved. Uh, most translations will show that's actually the word hated. And so Rachel was, sorry, Leah was hated in this relationship. And God saw that, uh, and it says that he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And so you see that this is a struggle for Leah, right? Because she has a number of sons now, and she names them all according to how she feels about this relationship that she's in. Verse 32, Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. And then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And so she named him Simeon. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. And therefore she, he was named Levi. And so she's naming all these sons because she longs for the love of her husband. Now, Unfortunately, it wasn't as if they, you know, had marriage counseling together as as a family, and they had worked everything out. Right? This is something. This this hatred, uh, this feeling of being unloved, uh, went on for years and years and years, and it only got worse. Because in the next chapter, read that in verse one of chapter thirty. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister. And she said to Jacob, give me children or else I die, right? This is how bad it was. She desperately wanted children, otherwise she was going to die. And she kind of puts the blame on Jacob here. And so she's now jealous of her sister. And so you see that there's a family here where there is hatred and jealousy. And this goes on for years and years and years. You may be familiar with the story of the mandrakes that happens in this chapter as well. Reuben finds these mandrakes, brings them to his mother, and then uh, Rachel finds out that Leah has these mandrakes and she wants them, hoping that it would make her fertile. And so I read in verse 15, but she said to her, is it a small matter for you to take my husband? And would you take my son's mandrakes also? And so Rachel said, therefore he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. And so we see that after uh, at least eight sons. So they've had eight sons at this point and perhaps a few daughters as well because we know they at least had one sister, Dinah. And so after at least eight or nine children at this point, they are still fighting about their husband, about, uh, you know, stealing the husband and uh, struggling with not being able to conceive, right? And so that jealousy, that hatred lingered in that family for years 
And this is what the boys grew up with. And so these strong feelings, these emotions, eventually start to shape their own lives as well. And so they're filled with this hatred and anger and jealousy towards their brother Joseph. And they now are, have to somehow uh, release all that energy, release that tension of, of hatred and, and jealousy, right? And so they deal with their problems like their family has always dealt with their problems, and they do that through deceit. And we know that's the way they even ended up in this situation was, of course, uh, through deceit as well, right? Where Jacob deceived his father and his brother, Laban deceived him. Uh, there's a lot of deceit in this family. And even in previous generations, uh, you see that there is a lot of deceit that happens, even between Abraham uh, and Isaac. Jacob is also somewhat dishonest to his father, Laban, where he, uh, without telling him, without saying a word in the middle of the night, takes his wives, his, all his children, all his, uh, his servants, uh, the shepherds that were with him, and he takes them all and just takes off uh, without telling Laban anything, doesn't tell him where he's going or anything. And so Rachel actually deceives her father by stealing the household idols. And... Um, you know, Laban then pursues him and is questioning, you know, where are these, these household idols? Now, this isn't the only time that the, the boys, the, the brothers, use deceit to do with their problems, right? Because earlier in their life, their sister Dinah had been assaulted by um, a man who lived nearby. Uh, and they were so outraged by what this man had done. Uh, but the man said, no, I want to marry your, your sister. Um, and, you know, why don't we marry and, and you can marry our daughters and, and we'll marry your daughters. And, uh, you know, we can become uh, family. We can live together. And the boy said, sure, that's fine. We can do that on one condition that you uh, get circumcised. And they knew what their plan was going to be. While they were being circumcised, they would eventually kill all these men. And so after the circumcision, they're all kind of in pain of the, the operation or they're perhaps a little bit drowsy from uh, something they use as a painkiller. And they killed all of the men uh, in this whole family. And so this is how they deal with their problems. They do that through deceit. And so now they come up with this plan to, to get rid of their brother, to get rid of Joseph. And so one big lesson in the life of Judah is that children learn from our behavior. They learn from the behavior of the previous generations. Now, and I will often uh, tell my kids to stop yelling, stop screaming, stop yelling at each other. But I specifically remember one time where I was angry for some reason. I'm sure it was a very insignificant reason. And, and I was angry with my wife, Emily. And she's upstairs in the bathroom, blow drying her hair and singing. And I was in the kitchen doing the dishes, very angry for some reason. And I need to say something to Emily. And I, I couldn't get her attention because she was in the bathroom blow drying her hair, right? But I was stuck in the kitchen in the, doing the dishes. And so I yelled at her. I was just yelling her name at the top of my lungs. I'm like, Anne, Anne, just yelling her name. And eventually she's like, what? And so I, I you know, told her whatever really important message I had to tell her. And a minute or so later, uh, my youngest son, he was probably about a year and a half at that point, still walking around in diapers. And he comes up to the bottom of the stairs and he kind of looks at me and he smiles and he goes, Anne, Anne, and just yells her name. And at that point, I realized that these boys are watching me. They're learning by what I'm doing. And so any children, any young people learn 
as much, if not more, by what we do compared to what we say. And the same happened in the life of Judah, that uh, what they saw in the previous generations, and it wasn't just their father and mother, it was their aunt, it was their grandparents, and this is a problem in, in their family. And that's what they grew up with, and they in turn let that influence their own lives. Now, you can't use that as an excuse. So I, I can't um, use it as an excuse to say, well, this is what my parents did when I was younger, and so therefore I'm doing these things, right? You have to take responsibility for your own lives. And my children can't do that either. They can't later on in life blame uh, their emotions and their decisions on me. They have to make their own decisions. But nonetheless, this applies to all of us, whether we have children or not. The younger generation looks at you and learns from your behavior as much as from your words. And so the boys come up with this plan to uh, sell their brother, actually kill their brother, uh, and dip his uh, coat in blood, and then deceive their family, thinking that their brother had died. And so we read of this in Genesis chapter 37, and verse 18. And when they saw him from a distance, before he came close, they plotted against him to put him to death. And they said to one another, here comes his dreamer. So they don't refer to him by his name anymore, right? He's just his dreamer now not even their brother Joseph. And they come up with this plan to kill him. And Judah eventually uh, convinces them that they should sell him as a slave because otherwise there's no real profit and it's their own brother after all. And so uh, they still follow through the plan to take his coat, which I'm sure they hated, and they dip him in blood and then they take this coat to their father and, and they uh, let him come to his own conclusion that his son has been devoured. And so this we read in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 31. And so they took Joseph's tunic, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent a very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Now keep that word examine in mind, where they say, please examine it. Because that's going to come back later on in a very significant way in the life of Judah. And then he examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And so Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. And so Jacob is grieving over his son, right? We see that he puts on sackcloth or, or kind of rags and, and he mourns and he refuses to be comforted. And so the brothers who... Uh, wanted to justify their, their anger and their jealousy and their hatred towards their brother. They sold him as a slave, thinking that would perhaps satisfy their anger. But really, now they are just given a new set of problems. Because now they have their father, who is in such misery, and he just refuses to be comforted. He's mourning day and day and day. And so the brothers now have to watch their father mourn and refusing to be comforted, knowing that A, it's their fault, and B, they can do something about it. They can fix it. They can solve it. Right? They can tell him what happened. But they don't. And so they have to live with this now, day in, day out. And that is when Judah can no longer take it. And Judah decides to leave his family. You read about Judah now in chapter 38, really focusing on the life of Judah. There's a lot of details on him specifically in chapter 38. Now, the first verse of this chapter is very significant. There's a lot of key details on what is happening to Judah. So Genesis 38 and verse 1. 
And it came about at that time, right? So it's at that time that his father was refusing to be comforted uh, that Judah left. It says that Judah departed from his brothers. And that's really interesting to note as well. It doesn't say uh, he went to. It doesn't say where he went to. It says where he went from. He departed from his brothers. Now that word brothers uh, is actually better translated as kinsmen. Um, it's used earlier in uh, Genesis 31, where Laban pursued uh, Jacob after he left in the middle of the night and, and says, you know, you've stolen my household idols. And so Jacob says, no, you can go through all of my stuff. You can, you can look for anything. If you find anything that's yours, then put it here before my brothers. And so that word brothers there can't refer to his physical brother because he only had one. It was Esau and he was not there at that time, right? And so uh, that word brothers here, uh, it means a lot more. It means your, your family, your tribe, your community. And the community that he leaves behind is a community that was called out by God. This family was called out by God for a very specific purpose. This family was given the promises and that is what he departs from. And it's quite easy to see that as the ecclesia. But this is the ecclesia, those who are called out for a purpose for God. And that is what he departs from. And it says that he departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adullamite, whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. And he took her and went into her. That's interesting that he... Uh, saw this woman, takes her and, and lays with her because that's the exact same thing that they killed uh, Shechemites for because they did the same thing to their sister, Dinah. Uh, and yet this is something that Judah doesn't really seem to have any problems with. Now, the interesting thing, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's interesting that uh, those two names that are mentioned there, uh, Hira, the Adolamite, and the daughter of a Canaanite whose name was Shua, the name Hira means splendor or noble, and the name Shua means riches. And so it almost seems like he is trying to uh, use these things to forget about what he left behind, right? He's trying to replace all those things that he left behind. And he's, you know, so he takes this woman, uh, he is aligning himself with splendor and nobility, with riches, uh, almost to forget about the things uh, that were of his past. And so as he left the Ecclesia, he hoped that he could leave his promise behind him. But in reality, we're going to see that the worst in his life was yet to come, right? Leaving the Ecclesia, leaving the family uh, that had the promises did not solve any of his problems. It just changed his problems. He got new problems. And so we see that the difference between uh, life in the Ecclesia and life outside of the Ecclesia is that life outside of the Ecclesia is a struggle with no hope. Life inside the Ecclesia is still a struggle, but it's a struggle with hope. And so sometimes we feel like we want to leave the Ecclesia, but it's not going to solve any of our problems. It's just going to give us a different set of problems. And so in the next class, we're going to look at the second half of the life of Judah. We're going to see how the worst was yet to come for Judah. But more importantly, we're going to see how Judah turned his life around and became a man who, instead of selling his brother as a slave, actually was willing to give up his own life as a slave for the life of his brother. And we see how Judah will teach us about Christ-like behavior.